Welcome to the podcast of Scott Street MB Church. We hope you find this message inspiring and encouraging in your walk as a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our passage today is situated within a series of accounts of God providing for the Israelites in extraordinary ways. Crossing the Red Sea on dry ground, an absolute miracle and undeniable proof of God's working in their favor. Israel is led into the desert on its journey from slavery to freedom. We have already seen God's hand at work as he has prepared Moses as his chosen leader in the plagues set against Egypt, in the institution of the Passover, and as he has led Israel in the pillar of cloud and fire. God has been at work in remarkable ways among his people. So then what does God provide for the Israelites in these chapters? The concerns of the delivered people are those daily basic concerns that we all know, the concern for food and for water. Pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word and scripture, and I thank you specifically for the passages we will look at today, and I pray that uh, the message that has been prepared would glorify you alone, Lord, and that you would bless it as it entered into our thoughts. Amen. So how many of you eat every day? How many of you drink a glass of water every day? You know, it is a miracle that we can turn on our taps and expect clean drinking water. Some of you may remember a time without running water. Examine for a moment how our relationship to water has changed over only a few generations. How would we treat water if we still had to draw it out of a well by means of a bucket? Do you water your lawn with it? Do you take a bath every day? Do you let it run down the sink while you brush your teeth? Or do you cherish every drop and recognize a high value in it? Canadians, you may have heard, use on average the most amount of water per person in the world. We use a lot of water in ways that would never cross our mind if we weren't so fortunate to find ourselves living in this time and in this place. So I want you to keep this in mind as we return our attention to the Israelites wandering in the desert. How many days can a man go without water? How long have you ever gone without a drink? I myself have never been truly thirsty three days in the desert. I myself have never known desperate thirst and been unable to quench it. And so those ancient people, fresh out of Egypt, are not unjustified in their groaning, for we have already read today, for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. What a situation to be in. What could be worse? Perhaps finding a place where the water is undrinkable. When they came to Merah, they could not drink its water, because it was bitter. From how far away did the people see that water? Did they run to it? Did they shout with joy as they drop to their knees? And as they take a drink, they taste it, and their hopes are crushed, and the grumbling starts. 
This morning, I want to speak on God's providing love for us. First, that God is sovereign over creation. He rules the physical world. Second, that God provides physically because he rules creation. Those who have answered the call to follow him should believe in his provision for their lives. Third, that God's provision is not just physical, it is spiritual. Jesus Christ, the water of life and the bread from heaven is the most important thing God has given us. And this should be the defining idea of our lives. To begin, God is sovereign over creation. If we turn back to the first book of the Bible, the first chapter, we read that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, God was not created. He was the creator. He is eternal. God did not do anything to become ruler over nature. Instead, he begot creation out of his own will and his own power. Through six days, God creates all that is known on the face of the earth. And when he creates mankind in his own image, he gives us special authority to rule over the rest of creation, to fill the earth and to subdue it. Now, if God had no sovereignty, he would have no means to grant us this authority. As Genesis continues, the fall occurs. Man's eyes are open to good and evil distorting their relationship to God and to one another. God, in turn, puts a curse over the ground, and the consequences of man's sin enters creation. Not soon later, that sin has spread and corrupted to such a degree that God reckons to destroy his creation. Yet because of the goodness in one man, Noah, God is merciful. So God's power in and over the physical world is complete. He is omnipotent, all-powerful. This includes creation. This includes destruction. Anything is within his power. And there is another aspect of God's power we see in the Bible, and that is his sustaining power. Instead of destroying the creation corrupted by sin, God was so moved not only to allow it to continue, but that he should work to redeem it. Paul writes in his letter to the Colossians, in chapter 1, verse 15, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus Christ, being in very nature God, was with the Father before the world began, and his work in creation is not finished, as he continues to hold it together to this day. And Paul continues, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things. Yes, God continues to sustain the entirety of creation, even at this very moment, and he continues to hold it together and is reconciling it and redeeming it to himself. Christ said of his Father's love and creation, he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good 
and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. David, King David, at the end of his life, prayed this prayer. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. God's sovereignty was not hidden from David's eyes. He recognized that God ruled over all and that he was the source of physical and spiritual provision. So God rules over the created realm, bringing it forth into existence, sustaining it, able to destroy it, yet by his grace sparing it and us. He uses his creation in natural and supernatural ways to interpose his love to mankind as well as to his people as they are in need. Jesus teaches about this in Matthew when he says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? When the widow approached the prophet Elisha with nothing but a small jar of oil, God provided what she needed so her debts could be cleared and she could, re- and she could have enough to live out her remaining years. And when the evening approached and the crowd of 5,000 was in a remote place. Jesus did not send them away. Rather, he multiplied the loaves and the fish and fed the multitude. And so in our reading today, the Israelites follow Moses into the desert, and they find themselves without food and without water. First, at Merah, the water was bitter. But instead of asking for God's help, they blame Moses. They grumble against him. Later, when food is scarce, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And in chapter 17, we would find them again thirsty. So they quarreled with with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. These are early days for God's people. To us reading the stories now, it is clear that God is continually leading and providing for the Israelites. But they are living the story. And they do not yet see God's hand at work. Hundreds of years of slavery has left the true God as a distant whisper while the Egyptian gods were in the forefront of their daily lives. We talked about this a few weeks ago, that in the plagues we saw the direct dismissal of the most prominent Egyptian gods. Two weeks ago, Paul commented that it is hard to believe that the Israelites struggled to follow God even when they followed the pillar of cloud and fire. And when they came and faced the Red Sea, they had a choice between fear and faith. They could stand firm and see deliverance if they would be still and let the Lord fight for them. And if you think it is surprising to see the faith of Israel so weak, even with all these signs and miracles, think about Pharaoh, 
He stubbornly refuses to believe even in the face of unquestionable acts, and it takes ten devastating plagues before he lets the Israelites go. At the edge of the Red Sea, the angel of God and the pillar of cloud came between the Egyptians and the Israelites, and there was safety for God's people as the east wind blew and divided the waters for passage. And after crossing the Red Sea, we see an appropriate response from the Israelites. They finally acknowledge God's saving power. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. They celebrate this victory and praise God through the song we see in the beginning of chapter 15. Perhaps this is what they are singing as they begin their trek into the desert. Spirits are high. They have finally escaped the land of slavery. But their gratitude to God does not last, despite the grandeur of the miracles they have witnessed. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. Those are long days. Surely each morning is harder to face than the one before. The joy of these people has faded in the face of thirst and of uncertainty. At Merah, they finally find water, but it is undrinkable, as if to heap insult on injury. And they cry out to Moses, what are we to drink? The people have already fallen away from their trust in God. They forget who really provides for them. And so they call upon Moses. Moses, in turn, cries out to God, who leads him to throw a piece of wood into the water, and miraculously, the water becomes drinkable. Then, not only does God provide drinkable water, he leads them to an oasis. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. By grace... Through Moses' faith, God provides for the Israelites in abundance. In the following chapter, Exodus 16, it tells us the story of the manna and the quail. The Israelites are a month and a half into their journey at this point, and they are hungry, and they reminisce about their time in Egypt. If we only had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, they cry to Moses. There we sat around pots of meat, and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out of Egypt to starve. Again, they forget it was God who brought them out of Egypt. They blame Moses, saying, you have brought us out of Egypt to starve. Truly, this is remembering Egypt in a, in a better light than it was. The Israelites, remember, were slaves, and food, and certainly meat, would not have been such, so available in the quantities that they are remembering. Despite this, God re responds to Israel. I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God. 
Again, God provides for his people in the midst of grumbling, in the midst of disbelief, in the midst of human weakness. God hears his people, not because they call on him, but because his ear remains turned to them. God proclaims that he is Lord over creation and miraculously brings forth food for Israel to eat and water to drink. Both the provision of water and food we see in the passages are linked to instruction from God. When God sends the manna, Moses tells the Israelites, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. When God purifies the water at Merah, back in chapter 15, we read, If you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, what are these commands and decrees being referred to? In the journey so far, God has already given instruction to the Israelites, notably in those around the festival of the Passover. God also gives Israel further instructions when he provides the manna and the quail. But we can also affirm the idea that God is setting the stage for the commands and the decrees that we all know, the Ten Commandments. The journey in the desert and its nation forming will culminate at Mount Sinai with the giving of the law and the presence of God before the people. Linked to these provisions we see in the passage and in others around it, God gives instructions to his people. At Merah, the Lord said, if you listen to me and keep my commands, I will bring healing to you. In chapter 16, with the manna and quail, God instructs Israel to gather the food according to need not hoarding much, but trusting that God will continue to supply enough. God instructs that everyone is to gather only what is needed and not to keep any until the next day, except for the Sabbath. We may grumble in our own lives, even when we do not face the hunger and thirst that the Israelites do in the desert. We have much, and if we don't, we may have enough. And when we do have needs, we do not go to Moses. Through Christ, we approach the throne directly. For that in God provides for us as he does for Israel, he also gives us instruction. Jesus brought us many instructions for how to live, and he modeled these in his own life. In fact, Jesus says that if you love him, you will obey his teachings. Remember that God's provision to Israel is linked to the instructions. And so too will his provision for us be linked to commands. Keep these in mind when you have a need. Now, when we think about God's provision in our lives, we need to be thinking about prayer. This is how we approach God and in times of needs present our express our dependence on him and his hope and our hope for intervention and provision so we can look at the teachings on prayer within the ministry of Jesus as well as from the apostles paul reminds us in philippians 
The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Jesus taught us how to do this when he says, Give us this day our daily bread. In the spirit of the Israelites journeying in the desert, Lord, give us today what we need so that we may gather only what is required for today so that we may learn to trust in you and see your provision each morning. In John 16, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask for in my name. And as John writes in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I believe that praying in the name of Jesus and praying according to the will of Jesus are very related. For Jesus left us an example, one that we can read and study, and that we must put into practice as followers. Jesus Christ lived an incredibly simple life, free from the trappings that many of us stray after daily. He lived without a home, without a place to call his own, without a fridge full of food and without a closet full of clothes. And yet he lived the perfect life. So when we are faced with a need, or what we think is a need, we must reflect on it as we bring it before God. If it is not according to his will, if it is not consistent with his name, if it, with the life that Jesus set out before us, if it is not simply for our daily bread, it is not for us. God provides for his people. Now you may have a testimony of God providing for you or your parents or someone you know when times are hard. When we are faced with real need, God is present. Celebrate and share these stories of faith. God's desire for us is the desire he had in creation, made in him and through him and for him. Creation and mankind are meant to glorify God. And so when we reflect on our needs and, we want, and our wants, realize that we live in a society far from God that is obsessed with materialism and personal pleasures. What is normal out there cannot be normal in here. Now what we want will not be beneficial for our Christian journey if it is not in line with the name and the will of Christ. You see, we are wandering in the desert right now, and we are given a choice to follow God, who no longer appears to us as a cloud, but as a man whose life we can know through the Bible. And we have been delivered from the slavery of our Egypt, from the life of sin. And we are journeying towards the freedom of the promised land. And along the way, God is redeeming us and transforming us and to his people. Jesus Christ, his life and his death, his ministry, his resurrection, are the culmination of God's work in the world. He did not choose to destroy it, and he did not forget about it. 
He sustains it and he works against the sinfulness of mankind to bring us and all creation back through redemption. That work was realized in Christ. Still, we are in our own wilderness, our own desert. While we work to bring the kingdom, we are faced with a choice to trust God for our needs. And more importantly, to realize that we need God. When the Israelites were hungry and thirsty, they grumbled against Moses, and God provided for their needs as he had brought them out of Egypt. When Israel was at Merah, they said, What are we to drink? When Jesus was at the well in Samaria, he told the, wa- he told the woman drawing water there that he is water to drink that is greater than what can come out of the earth and that he is the source of that water. We read, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Everyone who drinks this water from the well will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. When Israel was in the desert, they grumbled, longing for food. When Jesus had crossed the lake after feeding the 5,000, the crowd follows after him. And when they finally meet, Jesus says to them that they are not looking for him because of the truth and the miracle, but because they ate and they were full. Jesus says to the crowd in John 6, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus said to them, If you knew who he was, you would not concern yourself with physical bread, but with the spiritual nourishment that he offers. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. God provides for our needs, and he is the source of our physical nourishment. But God is also the source and the only source of our spiritual nourishment. And we should be looking after our spiritual needs as much as we look after our physical needs. In fact, we should be at least prioritizing our spiritual needs above our material wants. At the close of the interaction between Jesus and the crowd seeking more after more bread, Jesus says to them, Your ancestors ate manna, and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now one side of our life is confined to this earth, and the other side will be in eternity. Yet we sacrifice the spiritual needs of ourselves and others for what is confined to this life. Like yesterday's manna, we cannot take these things with us. God will provide for our needs if we trust him. The testimony of Israel in the Exodus, of of the ministry of Jesus Christ, of the early church and beyond is a testimony of God's provision. We need to trust in that. Because if our own efforts are consumed by our physical needs and wants, 
we will miss out for our need for spiritual provision. Jesus teaches in Matthew 6, So don't worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And here's the provision and the instruction for our lives. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Church, the challenge is as always to put God back to the first priority of our lives. Do not let what you need and what you want physically get in the way of your spiritual health. God will provide for what you need. So put your energy and your emphasis into learning and into doing the will of God for your own sake and for those around you. Let's pray. God, you lived that life of an example and you call us to follow after you. And so often we fail to make that daily commitment. And we run after things that only pull us away from you, God. And so I pray that we would have enough bread and water to to be alive, God, and that we can seek after the true bread from heaven and the true water of life. And God, we can, through you and through your Son, Jesus Christ, find the life of truth and of ultimate meaning. We thank you, God, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Contact any of our pastors, please visit scottstreetchurch.ca.